Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. This week, I'm excited. I've got Jared Wagner, a uh, Arkansas Razorback baseball player. Uh, was named preseason All-American. He's new to the Razorback squad. As a Razorback fan, I'm always excited to have um, any kind of Razorback I can get on. Um, but Jared, I'm excited to have on because Jared is a new bow hunter. And I love being able to talk to new bow hunters about what they've learned, um, where they have found success, where they have found failures. Uh, that way, hopefully, you as a new hunter can learn from them and their mistakes. Uh, Jared did actually find success this past season in Oklahoma. Uh, and shot his first buck, and so we're going to kind of dive into that, what he learned, uh, his takeaways from those. Uh, but guys, I promise you that if you're a new hunter and you're just getting started, I promise you there will be something to take away from Jared's journey into this. But also, if you're a, um advanced hunter, I would highly encourage you to listen uh, because Jared gives some great insight on uh, the barriers that new hunters go through. So if you understand those barriers that a, a new hunter goes through, then you can better help them get over those barriers. So guys, uh, we're, no matter where you're at in your bow hunting journey, this will be a good episode for you. As always, this episode is presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Um, a lot of people make great clothing. I'm not saying that. But for whitetail hunting specifically, what really sets Scentlock apart is their carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. They have in the BE1 series, they have a full uh, toolkit for bow hunters. It's called the Bow Hunter Elite Series. From the gloves down to the belts, pants, everything is built and made for bow hunters. If you have not checked out Scentlock, I would highly, highly encourage you to do so. But guys, thanks for tuning in. This is going to be a fun episode. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, I oftentimes say that I always have a binocular harness on my chest. What good is a binocular harness without a good set of binoculars? I am a sucker for fine Japanese glass. I love good optics. I love spending time behind it. Um, it's just fun. It's fun to go out and look at stuff. Um, but also, good optics make spotting and looking through them a whole lot more enjoyable. Koa Optics does it and does it better than anyone else, in my opinion. They have some of the finest Japanese glass on planet Earth. It's all I've used for the past... I don't know, eight years or so. This right here, the Koa 55, is one of the best products ever made in the history of the universe. It is the smallest, most compact scope you can get, but it still offers phenomenal glass. It's really hard to find a, a spotter that is this small, this light, this compact. You can throw it in your backpack. You can leave it in your truck. It's so small and so compact, but it still offers phenomenal glass. This is one of my favorite products 
ever. Guys, if you're in the market for new optics, I would highly encourage you to check out Koa Optics because they are, in my opinion, the best glass that you can buy. Go check them out. All right, we got Jared Wagner, a uh, a Razorback. Anytime, man, anytime I get a Razorback on the phone, it's a good day. I uh, was born and raised in Northwest Arkansas, and uh, diehard Razorback fan. So anytime I get a chance to talk to a Razorback, it's fun. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to do this podcast. So, and you are uh, you're new to the Razorback squad, and I'll tell you kind of what happened was. You know, I see the Arkansas baseball page, and they commented and they posted, um, you know, hey, preseason All-American, Jared Wagner. And so I go to your page just to do my homework as a Razorback fan. And I'm like, oh, dude's a hunter. That's good. And uh, and then I'm like, oh, wow, he's a bow hunter. So now we know he's a good baseball player, too, because bow hunters ex- excel in everything. No. <laughs> um, and so I reached out to you, and uh, you're like, well, man, hey, I'm just getting started. And I was like – that's good. You know, that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, this podcast is, is geared towards teaching and inspiring new hunters and old hunters alike. And so, you know, I actually get that comment a lot of like, Hey Dylan, why don't you have new hunters on just to talk about, you know, their experience and what they're learning and what they're experiencing and, and you know, how things are going for them and you know, what they can do differently or what they, you know, need to, to learn or, you know, so on and so forth. And so, uh, I, I'm actually really excited uh, to have you on and to to talk about your journey into bow hunting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I'd say my journey started with uh, you know one of my roommates at the time while I was playing at Creighton. Um, he was was bow hunting. I was interested in it. Um, I'd grown up waterfowl hunting basically my entire life, and ended up going to the bow shop. Did some research online. Had never shot a bow in my entire life. Walked into a shop, completely terrified, didn't want to feel like an idiot. Um, walked in, said, <laughs> you know, I, I uh, walked in, said, never shot a bow. Let me let me try some out. You know, at that time I was looking for kind of a mid-range bow, something to get started with. And, uh, you know, the people at the shop helped me out and uh, didn't, didn't feel like an idiot. Thought I was going to make myself look stupid and, and walked out of the, walked out of the shop with a bow and, and, Ever since then, you know, it's kind of been a, a real big passion of mine. So that's the, and for my, in, in my opinion, and I worked at a bow shop through college. That's how I worked my way through college. And you find, you know, a lot of guys that, that is the reason they, they don't get into it. That's the barrier. They don't want to feel like an idiot. You know, they don't, they're, they're afraid of walking in and showing their cards of like, Hey, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to get started. And so that's like the biggest barrier of entry of just like being able to admit like, hey, guys, I don't know what I'm doing here, um, but I want to get started. And so I would just encourage everybody like you have to start somewhere. Don't be ashamed of that. Like, don't be ashamed to walk in and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But I would also, you know, I'm also a big proponent, you know, 30 years ago, they didn't have the resources online. They didn't have the ability to learn online. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have podcasts. They didn't have good information to learn from. And so it was all just, you know, trial and error. And, and you hear some of the best shooters in the world today, you know, who are older and like, we had no idea what we were doing. Like we just tried to figure something out and hopefully it worked. And, uh, 
you know, my, my personal recurve coach, his name's Tom Clum. Um, he's out of Denver there. And, uh, that's, you know, he, he preaches that he's like, guys, like we, we had to struggle through learning everything, but you guys have such a, and you guys, meaning the generation that's starting now, um, have such an advantage because there's so much information on Google and YouTube and podcast and good information too. You know, it's not just garbage information. So I would say, Hey, don't be afraid to walk into a shop and just say, no idea what I'm doing. But also the, the, the internet has some crazy, some crazy good information that you can dive into and start learning from. Oh yeah, 100%. And that's a, you know, I use YouTube a lot when I first got my bow and trying to do certain things. I also made uh, you know, some mistakes along the way, some, some stupid mistakes looking back on it now. Uh, but, and that'll you know, continue. Me, <laughs> what's that? And that'll continue. You'll keep making that, mistakes. Yep. Yep. And the, you know, you just got to learn from those mistakes. Uh, you know, I, at one point I was trying to figure out why my arrow wasn't shooting straight. And I was doing this in my hometown by myself, um, on YouTube videos. And I was going to check the, um, the string stop on the, uh, cams. And I saw someone had a pull down system where it was, you know, they had a ring on top and they could pull it down, see, see if they were hitting at the same time. And for whatever reason, I thought, Oh, you know, this, this would be a good idea. I just put it on the edge of my bed and held it and pulled it back. And, uh, the, the string obviously came off the, the cams cause I didn't pull it straight back. And you know, that sounds so stupid and it, it truly was super stupid, but, uh, you know, I live and learn and, and, you know, I'll never do that again. So, uh, had to get new strings and stuff, but that's the things I'm talking about when it, when it comes down to it, it's, you know, you fail and you do something stupid. Well, you're never going to do that again. And you learn, live and learn from it. So. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm also, I'm a huge proponent and I tell everybody, um, and, and last episode was the first time we kind of shared, uh, the new, the new pillars or the new, uh, mission or goal of this podcast. Um, or I should say that the core values of this podcast, and that's to hunt, learn and share. Um, and, and I tell, and I'm going to tell you this as a new hunter, and I'm going to tell anybody who is a new hunter or an advanced hunter, your job is to start sharing. Um, no matter what point in which you're at your journey, your job is to share. Um, trust me, dude, there's times where I feel like I have nothing of value to share with somebody, but you know, I, I forget sometimes that, you know, there's guys I've been bow hunting now for, oh crap, I don't, um, 13 years. Um, and so I forget like there's guys who are just a year in and, you know, they don't know how to tune a bow. They don't know how to correctly spine an arrow or, or how to, you know, do all these things. And there's somebody who needs what I have. Um, and so even for yourself, I mean, you're only two years in now, but there's somebody who's only a year in, you know, there's somebody, there's somebody who's only four months in and they need what you have to offer. They need just somebody to say, Hey, this is where I started. This is what I did. Uh, this is how I did it. These are the lessons that I learned right off the bat. Let me just save you some heartache. Don't draw your bow on your bed. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. And especially, I mean, trying to get – so for me, my roommate was the one. He actually went with me. So, you know, he had – I think he had four or five years of experience. But he was the one that went with me to the um, to the bow shop, and, and uh, he was the one that got me to go. So, you know, talking about somebody who – 
uh, has some years of experience, doesn't matter how much, but just getting me to go do that and yeah. being there with me when I went, you know, that was huge for me to, to kind of get over that mental hump of, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot. So, and, and to me, you know, I, I applaud that guy, you know, because a, a lot of guys buy into that idea of like, well, I've only been doing this for four years. You know, I've only shot a doe. I haven't even shot a buck yet. How I can't teach somebody. I can't, I can't inspire anybody, but, but that is the furthest thing from the truth because no matter where you're at in bow hunting, you have something that you can teach somebody else. And that's, you know, that's what I think every hunter needs to learn. Um, and not, not, not buy into the thing that, well, I have to be advanced or I have to be elite or I have to learn everything I can before I can start teaching somebody. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, another thing is just being open-minded to other people. Um, some people, I don't know, you know, they've been hunting for a while and, and sometimes, you know, they, they'll close off to different suggestions or whatever because they got it figured out. I think bow hunting is pretty similar with a lot of things in life where, you know, you got to keep learning. You got to learn the new, new oh techniques gosh, or, yes. or, or whatever. So, Oh, my gosh, yes. And that's why that's why that word learn is in there, um, you know, as far as this podcast goes, because no hunter will ever be to the point where they say, okay, I'm good. Like I got it. I'm done. Uh, because no matter what, like, you know, I, I tell people like this, like I've been whitetail hunting with a bow for 13 years, but when I go on an elk hunt, I learn something about bow hunting that I've never experienced before. When I go on a bear hunt, I learn something about bow hunting that I've never learned before. When I go on a hog hunt, when I go on a, a javelina hunt or, or even different locations, like, dude, I remember when I first started hunting in Texas, like it's like a culture shock, but you learn so much that you never have experienced before, you know, here in Kansas, it's just completely different or in Arkansas, you know, that's where I, I cut my teeth. That's where I learned everything. That's where I, I, you know, that's where I dove in and I still love hunting Northwest Arkansas. I try to shoot a deer there every year, but, um, you know, when you go to a different place, you learn something entirely new because the deer act different. They, they live in different terrain. They, so you're absolutely right, man. We never, we never have the ability to say, okay, I'm good. Like I've learned everything. I, I'm done. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we always have to continue to learn. Oh yeah. 100, 100%. And, and like I said, uh, you know, so I, I hunted in Nebraska. Um, that's where I'm from. So that's where I kind of got started and it's interesting coming down here. So you're not allowed to bait in, in Nebraska where you can bait here in Arkansas and Oklahoma, where I did end up shooting that buck. And, you know, a lot of my friends gave me crap, uh, because of the baiting, but it's totally, you know, I was so close minded on it and like, this isn't, this isn't fair. Well, no deer is going to, you know, walk up. You still have to have the right wind. You still have to do all the right things for that, that, uh, you know, for that to, to all come together. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting hunting a different terrain, different rules. Um, you know, Oklahoma is real hilly where I'm hunting. It's completely flat. So, um, you got to check your thermals and, and be very conscious about that. Um, so, you know, just continue to learn, you know, I, I have dreams of hunting, um, different, different animals and different places. And, you know, I, like you said, it, it kind of fires me up, you know, you're still learning, you've been doing it forever. So, uh, um, fires me up. So, so what is that? What's that dream animal? Like if you could go on one hunt today, money's no issue. What are you hunting? 
I'm hunting a moose in Alaska. Really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. That, that's the dream. That's it for a lot right of people, there. man. I don't yeah. know why. I was, um, uh, I, go ahead. Yeah. So I was at the range, uh, actually in Omaha and was talking to a guy and he was showing me, he had filmed a couple hunts and, uh, you know, ever since then I've kind of been on YouTube looking up different, different, um, people who have filmed their hunts up there and it just looks awesome. The terrain's sweet. Uh, you know, you got to fight the, the weather and, and all sorts of things. So it's, it's, seems like a pretty cool adventure. Moose are just crazy. Like they're crazy animals, dude. Nobody understands even, even seeing them in movies, you know, and, and even seeing them like full body mounts, like in a Cabela's or something, it doesn't do it justice, man. But I remember one time I was, I, me and my wife, uh, it was the first hunt I ever took her on. The first, I should say, like, bigger hunt I ever took her on. And uh, we were chasing bears, and we started seeing moose. And she was like, oh, my gosh. Like, and, and close. Like, not, I'm not talking, like, miles away. I'm talking, like, 40 yards. And she was like, that's a giant. And uh, and she, at one point, she she had went out with the outfitter. I, I had went on a hunt, and, and uh, you know, it was going to be more of a little bit of a, a spot and stalk brutal type hunt and so i was like why don't you stay at the cabin for the day and so uh they she comes with the outfitter to pick me up and she's like we saw a giant moose and i'm like yeah they're all giant like and she's like no dylan this was big and i'm like okay like it's one of those deals where like when you've never seen them and all you've seen is deer like you're gonna think any moose is big and then she shows me a video and i'm like god i mean it was like a 72 inch moose and i'm like good lord um, just a, a stud moose. And so, uh, but it's just something that nobody understands just like how crazy big and magnificent they are until you see them in the, in the wild. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I've never seen one in the wild. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure well, they, you will. they look massive on, on TV. So I'm sure you they're will, bigger in person and having them within, you know, bow range would, would be a dream of mine. So, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I guess I'm just wired a little different. But like everybody that you hear about dream hunts, it's like it's elk or or moose or caribou, and and I'm like, I just want a giant brown bear. Like that's that's my that's my number one. Like if if money was no object, no issue, and you know, for a lot of guys, you ask that question, they're like they're, they think of the most expensive hunts, so they're like moose or stone sheep or you know something like that and i'm like dude i just want to hunt a giant coastal brown bear in alaska um now sure that's still a crazy expensive you know twenty five thousand dollar hunt but um that would definitely be it for me like a, a big old giant coastal brown bear yeah i uh you know i've never obviously i've only hunted by till and um you know i think it'd be sweet to go out and especially where i'm from um Colorado is not too far from, from Nebraska. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think it'd be cool to get out there and, and hunt some elk. Um, you know, it's challenging. I know from, I got a buddy that lives up there and said that it's just pressured as it can be unless you get yeah. uh, certain draws. But, uh, yeah, that would be, that would be up there too with, uh, with one of mine. What's, what's your favorite hunt that you've been on? What's, what oh, have you enjoyed Lord have most, mercy. say? uh favorite like best as far as trophy or best as far as hunt experience hunt experience hunt experience would probably be 
um, a bear hunt in Idaho that I went on. Um, it was actually an, it was actually an elk hunt turn bear hunt. Um, we get there and the elk were just locked up, man. There were fires everywhere. Um, and we were safe. The elk were safe. Like all the fires were across water. Um, so, you know, no, no fear of, of, you know, being trapped in camp or, or having to evacuate or anything, but the elk don't know that. Like they, all they know is, man, when we smell this, we usually die. Um, or, or, you know, we have to, you know, anyways. And so the elk just locked up and, and we get there should have been prime rut, you know, elk should have been just firing off everywhere. And, and, uh, we heard a couple faint bugles at night, but the only time we would hear, hear bugles is when at night when the wind would switch and the, the smoke would blow out. And so the, the elk would, you know, start moving at night. And so that was the only time the elk would move and we would hear them is, is at night because, you know, the smoke would start blowing out and they would start moving. And so, but then you'd wake up the next morning, you'd be like, all right, we heard the bugle over here and you would go and I mean, you couldn't see a hundred yards because the smoke would come back in and it, you know, it was just a really hard hunt. And so, uh, it turned bear hunt pretty quick. Um, and, uh, but still, getting to getting to chase bears in the mountains of of uh, Idaho was just an absolute crazy thing. I had my recurve with me, and uh, just a, a crazy. I actually shot a bear with my recurve, uh, but I hit him a bit high and just never found him. So that's why I said favorite trophy or favorite experience because that was like my favorite experience, even though I I, I shot at an animal, but I didn't. I never got that animal, and so. Um, Definitely a, a fun, fun experience. Best trophy would be my first um, deer with a recurve. That was my, my favorite trophy thus far. Um, you know, if people ask me, what like, what's the highlight of your hunting? It would be killing my first deer with a recurve, for sure. Yeah, I uh, but, can't imagine how hard, you know, hunting with a recurve is. Uh, I see people at the range doing it all the time looks really challenging uh something i might get into if uh you know i continue down this this bow hunting uh, adventure that i've i'm planning on going down so tell me a little bit about you know how to get into recurve hunting and and you know what it takes because it looks interesting it looks sweet you know so i would say as a baseball player you have a very big advantage um here's why because baseball is a very technical <laughs> sport um you know, technique is everything in baseball and I'm not a baseball player, never was. Um, but I have friends who are, and baseball is very technical, you know, everything from the way you pitch to the way you, you, you know, catcher and, and hitting, it's all a technical sport. And shooting a recurve is very technical. Um, you know, it takes crazy amounts of technique. Gone are the days of pulling back and letting an arrow fly. Um, you know, that, that's how they used to do it. And that's how, you know, you know, talking with Tom Clum, he's like, man, we didn't have technique. Like we didn't know, you know, how muscle groups functioned and how, uh, holding weight functioned. And, you know, we just drew back and we learned how to let an arrow fly. But now we've learned so much about technique that we can dial that in. And so shooting a recurve is very technical, but as a baseball player, you ha obviously have good instincts. Um, and traditional archery, if you can instinctively shoot, you can be very good at it. Um, in other words, you don't have pins, you know, to aim. So I do what's called point on shooting because I'm not a good instinctive shooter. Um, so in other words, I use the tip of my arrow to aim, uh, basically as a single pin sight. 
Uh, so at 20 yards, I hold, you know, seven and a half inches under where I want to hit. Um, but guys who can instinctively shoot a recurve, I, I admire those guys because they don't have to check distance. They don't have to, you know, when you throw a baseball, it's not like, okay, he's 33 yards away. He's slightly downhill. So I need to, no, you just throw the ball. Like you just see the person and throw it. Um, and that's how instinctive shooting a recurve goes. Now I do want to make, and this isn't to you, but this is to, to kind of everybody. Um, instinctive shooters get a bad rap as pull back and let her fly. You can have very good technique and execute a perfect shot and still shoot instinctively. Um, so just because somebody says, oh, I'm an instinctive shooter, doesn't mean that they don't practice good back tension and they don't practice a good shot execution. You can have perfect shot execution, perfect form, perfect technique, and still shoot instinctively. Um, so I, I would encourage you to give it a shot, man, because believe it or not, you're you're pretty well built for it because you know, I mean, you obviously, again, have good instincts and, and uh, that's something you can learn and that's something you can do. So I would give it a try, man, for sure. Yeah, that sounds uh sounds like maybe here in here in the future it might be buying a recurve. So um, yeah, no, that's I, all good uh, I actually stuff. have a I actually have a series. Um, I, I don't know what episode numbers it's through, but I'd have to go back and look. But uh, if you scroll back, we did a traditional one hundred and one series, and we had some of the most accomplished recurve hunters in the world on. Uh, we had Tom Clum, uh, Aaron Schneider. Uh, Fred Eichler, um, we had all these guys on to teach you from the ground up how to shoot a recurve, how to select a bow, how to set up that bow, um, how to tune that bow, shot execution, form, uh, aiming methods, everything. Um, so if anybody out there is looking to get into shooting a recurve, I would highly encourage you to jump back and find that traditional one-on-one series that we did and, uh, and, and take a deep dive into that because it was – I learned, and that was right when I was getting into it. So it was super beneficial for me. And, uh, you know, I've heard from a lot of guys that, that, uh, Hey, I, that helped me get into it. So I would definitely give it a, a listen. Uh, but Jared, I'm excited to, to kind of dive into this guys. There's one fabric that if you're not wearing, you absolutely should be. It's a magic fabric. It changes everything about the way you layer, everything about the way you dress, everything about the way you hunt, and that is merino wool. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the benefits of merino wool, and I'm going to miss some for sure. But guys, whether it's summer or whether it's winter, uh, this is going to keep you cool in the in the summer. It's moisture wicking. It's going to pull the moisture away from your body, but it's also going to hold your heat in the winter. It is antimicrobial. It doesn't smell. It doesn't hold scent like other fabrics does. So if you're out on a five-day hunt, you don't have access to a washer, this is not going to hold your scent. It's not going to to get stinky and nasty. Um, it's also uh, quick drying. Um, you can hang this up in your tent. You can hang it up uh, on a clothesline. It's going to dry really quick. But the coolest part about Merino, in my opinion, is that when it gets wet, it still maintains it still maintains its warmth properties. So if there's a light rain or a snow and this gets wet, it's still going to keep me warm. There's no itch. There's it's it's non-allergenic. It's an amazing an amazing fabric. Minus thirty three. I stumbled upon minus 33 by accident i was on backcountry.com and they were having a blowout sale i needed some new merino for a hunt that was coming up and so i i dove in i bought it and when i got it it was the softest best merino i have ever felt in my entire life i've not worn anything but minus 33 socks for everyday life whether i'm hunting hiking or just you know 
out for the day. I haven't worn anything but minus 33 socks in over a year and a half. Every single day I'm wearing their underwear. Every single time I'm out hunting, whether it's 100 or whether it's 5, I'm wearing some sort of beanie to cover up my chrome dome and to keep that covered up and warm uh, or cool Whether if it's in the summer. But also, um, that UV protectant. I like to wear it in the summer. Um, guys, minus 33 does Merino, in my opinion, better than anybody else does it. Go check out minus 33 for all your Merino wool. And if you haven't ever tried Merino, guys, you are missing out. It will change the way you layer. It will change the way you hunt. Go check out Merino wool and go check out minus 33. So you started bow hunting two years ago. What was the the biggest obstacles other than, you know, just taking that step and saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. What were your biggest obstacles in, in getting into bow hunting? Well, you know, I think, uh, I would probably say the biggest obstacles was that I had never hunted deer before. And Oh, I had, really? So there was no jump from rifle hunt to bow hunt? Never rifle hunted in my life. Um, okay. So honestly, I think that was one of the biggest challenges for me was that I had no experience of how, how deer moved, how, you know, I had to learn what, what a scrape was as, as silly as that sounds. I, I had to learn. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, so that was probably the biggest challenges, you know, trying to decide where, um, how to set up, uh, different techniques, what to look for when, when scouting a place. Luckily I have some, uh, river land in Nebraska that, uh, I have the opportunity to hunt on and that's been a blessing. You know, I've haven't had the time we, we should be putting in, uh, food sources and stuff, but I've been so busy here with baseball. Um, you know, I, I always say I picked a really tough time to get into bow hunting, um, just because of how busy I am with, uh, you know, trying to be a student athlete at the same time. But anyway, um, so I'd say that, that would be one of the biggest challenges with just learning everything um, that I possibly can. And I remember, you know, traveling to games, stuff like that. I would be listening to podcasts, learning as much as I can, watching YouTube videos, just trying to understand hunting, um, how deer move, how deer work, um, stuff like that. So that was one of the biggest challenges, um, just getting into hunting. But uh, getting into bow hunting, I'd say the biggest challenge was uh, – Getting over basically, you know, that it's going to be really, really rough every day when you first begin, Yeah, you know, it's going to suck. That doesn't it stop. Sucked. And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, you know, you go to the range and you see guys shooting, you know, seven, eight inch groups at 60 and you're shooting 12 inch groups at 30 and you're like, well, yeah. this is, you know, this, this sucks, but it's part of it. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go all in on it. Um, and it was very good, good deal for me uh, when it came to shooting my bow because I go shoot every day and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of practice. Uh, I got a, got a pretty good shot and, uh, you know, I dedicate or I say that uh, that's to my hard work and uh, I've gotten pretty good, pretty confident in my ability to shoot. That's good, man. I would... And that's what I kind of wanted to hit on a little bit was you hear a lot of people say, well, I don't have time. Uh, it drives me bonkers when I hear my wife, like, we're getting ready for season. She's like, I don't have time to practice. I'm like, 
get off your phone for an hour. Like, I mean, you don't have time to practice. Um, but that's like my biggest uh, drawback is when people say, I want to start bow hunting, but I don't have time to practice. And I'm like, well, you do. Like, you just have to make time. Um, and that's what, like, when you hear student athlete, like a lot of people are like, well, he's in college. He can do whatever he wants. You know, sure, he doesn't have kids. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have – as a student athlete, those are about the busiest people I know. Like, you know, talking to student athletes and, and – uh <laughs> Being an athlete in college is a full-time job. Um, and then you've got college on top of that. You've got um, – and and another obstacle that I think college – I think you represent well is the lack of area to practice at. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys say, well, I want to get into it, but I live in the middle of L.A. Like I can't – I don't have anywhere to practice. I don't have anywhere to shoot. Um, well, there's not many places as confined as a college campus. I mean – can't just go out in the hallway of your dorm and start shooting um that's how you get arrested um but i remember in college man like i would drive and just find woods and just set up and sure i probably wasn't allowed to be in there but um i would just find woods like it might be in the middle i went to college in oklahoma city um and so it might be in the middle of the city just a little patch of woods but i could shoot 40 yards and that was where i would go practice and so the two biggest things that that i think people complain about not having when they want to get into this is time and access to shoot. Um, and to those people, I, I, you just have to say, guys, there will always be excuses. Like there will always be things that, that can hold you back if you let them hold you back. Um, but if you want to do this, you have to prioritize your time. Like you have to make time. Um, you, you have to make opportunities for yourself. Um, and, and I get it. Like, a lot of guys look at me and they're like, well, yeah, you get to shoot every day, all day. Cause you make your living in hunting. And I'm like, I mean, I still have a job. Like it's not, you know, even though I work in the outdoor industry, I still have a job I have to do. Um, but man, I set up a range in my backyard. I've got 13 3d targets in my backyard so I can walk on my back deck and be shooting at 60 yards at a 3d deer. Um, and people are like, yeah. And, and you know, then you get the whole, yeah. So you have access right outside your back door. And I'm like, yeah, but I have three kids. And I set it up that way to where the kids can be jumping on the trampoline back here and I can be shooting that way. You know, if I have the kids, I can still go out and shoot. Um, and so you just have to create opportunities for yourself. Uh, you have to prioritize it. If you want to do it, it's something you have to prioritize. And that's true for anything. I mean, if you want to lose weight, you got to prioritize going to the gym. If you want to play baseball, you got to prioritize practice. I mean, if you want to, you know, be a good artist, you have to prioritize time to, to, practice art. I mean, you have to, so you just have to make time. I mean, you're never going to, it's never going to be just a golden ticket. Okay. Now I can do it. No problems. I mean, that's always going to be the case. So you, you've got to just prioritize it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if it's important to you, I think you're going to end up doing it. Like you said, you, you set up, uh, those targets in your backyard because it's, it's important to you. And, and, uh, so for example, when I was in Omaha, so I, I went to school at Creighton before I transferred here and Creighton's in the middle of downtown Omaha. So, you know, I would drive but now you 25. Play, but now you play for the Omahaogs. That's right. I do play for the Omahaogs. <laughs> so, uh, but go back to uh, the story. So in Omaha, I'm in the middle of downtown Omaha and I live in an apartment and I would drive 
25 minutes to the, the, the range that was north of, north of Omaha, 25 minutes and, you know, shoot, shoot arrows, especially in the fall leading up to my breaks because our program at, at Creighton, we'd had, we were busy every Saturday, home was two and a half hours away. I think I made the trip twice just to hunt, um, Saturday night and Sunday morning. And, but leading up to the season and fall break, winter break, I was shooting all the time as much as I could. Um, I'd go shoot, sneak away, you know, 25 minutes, shoot 50 arrows before the sunset, you know, so it was important to me, um, especially, you know, being my first at that time I had shot anything. Um, I was looking to shoot a, a doe or a buck obviously. And, uh, you know, it was important to me. I wanted to make a good shot and I wanted to feel confident when I, when I pull that, uh, pull that string back. I want to know that I'm going to make a good shot, execute a good shot. So that was important to me. And I, you know, I didn't make any excuses. It's easy to make excuses, but, uh, you know, it's making excuses. It's easy, but missing a deer or, uh, making a bad shot on a deer, that's tough. And so, you know, you want to be as prepared as you can. Obviously sometimes that's how you control. People do make bad shots. All, All the best guys have made, um, bad shots. So, but you just want to feel confident. That's the thing. So, yeah, that is something. No matter what, um, that is something that's going to happen. You will make a bad shot. You will wound an animal. Um, it sucks every time you do it. Like that doesn't get easier. And if it doesn't suck, like if that doesn't, if that doesn't affect you at all, you probably shouldn't be bow hunting. Uh, like I don't want you chasing animals. If hitting an animal and not finding it doesn't affect you i don't want you hunting like i don't want you chasing deer because obviously there's a disconnect there because our job as sportsmen is to make an ethical shot every single time and so um if it doesn't suck like you're probably not doing it for the right reasons um but that also um speaking to to women here for a second the number one reason that women who want to hunt don't get into it is because the fear of hitting an animal and wounding it and not finding it. That's the number one reason for women not to get into the sport. Huh? That's interesting. I've never heard that. It's absolutely, I mean, it's going to happen. Like there's, there's nothing you can't get around that, but what you can do is exactly what Jared said. Practice to the point where you're so confident that you can make the shot. Um, Don't go out there. If, you don't know that you can make the shot. And the biggest lesson that I've ever learned in hunting is there is no cut and dry. This is my maximum distance. Like that's my biggest pet peeve is when somebody says, well, what's your maximum distance? What's the furthest you'll shoot an animal? And I'm like, man, just depends. Like if I see a deer uh, or a bear or an elk or whatever it might be, if I see that animal and I know in my heart that I can shoot that animal and kill it, then I'm going to shoot it. Um, so there's times where, you know, like last year, I let one rip at 40. Uh, I had a bucket 40 yards and I shot it and killed it. And there were times that I had a bucket 13 yards and just the way everything was working, I didn't feel comfortable making the shot. Um, you know, be it a, a small window through the trees and super windy and the buck was weary. And, you know, even though he's at 13 yards, I'm like, man, there's a lot that can go wrong here. So I'm not going to shoot. So effective distance is, is, very, very, um, dependent on the, the, the atmosphere you're in. I mean, there again, it's going to change all of the time. So, 
Um, but that is exactly what a new hunter needs to focus on learning their equipment, practicing so much that when they go out, they know for a fact, I'm confident in my setup. I'm confident in my equipment. I'm confident in my abilities and I can make this shot and I can kill the deer when the time comes to kill the deer. Yep. And you know, for me, it was getting out as much as I can learning as, as much as I can. Um, I don't know. I still go back to confidence. Just if you're not confident in your gear or your shot, then you, then you shouldn't be hunting because you're, you're going to make, obviously you're going to make some bad shots and and people do, but if you're not confident out there and you haven't put the work in, then for me, I don't, I don't know if you really should be out there unless you're, you're confident in in what you're doing. Yeah, dude, a hundred percent. Um, so on the deer hunting side of things, which I will make note too, uh, just last year during deer season, we did a deer one-on-one series, uh, had some of the most accomplished deer hunters on ever. And again, we talk about from the ground up how to learn deer, um, you know, tactics to hunt them, how to scout, how to hang tree stands, where to hang tree stands. Um, you know, we had the hunting public on and we had um, raised, raised hunting and we had um, Philip Vanderpool, just a lot of... of big buck killers to teach us how to deer hunt. So I would highly encourage you to, to dive into that too. But on the deer side of things, what was the biggest thing that you had to learn about deer in order to be successful? Oh, I would say that, you know, over, I think over pressuring a spot. So my Riverland, uh, it's got, I think we got, 40 acres and me and my friend were hunting it. And when we first got into it, you know, we were both hunting it. Um, and we, we overdid it. We did too. We were hunting it too much, too much pressure. Uh, we started seeing less bucks on, on trail cam. We started seeing less deer movement. Um, and that was kind of something that I learned from a podcast and kind of thought about it because we were hitting it hard there for a week, you know, when I was back for fall break. And it was like, you know, the first couple of days we saw deer and then, um, uh, you know, by the end of it, it, we, we weren't seeing anything at all. And that was something that was kind of interesting to me is picking the right days to go and not just going out there, um, and, and over pressuring an area. So for me, that was, that was one of the things that I learned that, you know, it seemed like, okay, well, I, I should go hunting, um, go as much as I can. And, you know, we don't have the right, we have like a North access, uh, got to walk through areas. It's just not a clean access route. So, you know, on, on certain days you, you got to say, well, maybe it's better that I, I don't go out there, I guess. So for me, that was one thing and, and that I learned. That, that still is like the hardest lesson for me to, to, to learn. I've got a couple buddies and they, they made me mad for so many years because I'm like, dude, I spent 35 days in the field. You go out two days and you kill a booner. Like, this makes me mad. And they're like, yeah, because we wait for the perfect day. Like, we wait till, you know, that two days. We've got a cold snap. It's the middle of the rut. Um, parametric pressures through the roof. You know, so moon phase is good. I mean, everything. And so we go out with the highest chance of killing deer. And so 
what I learned was you're absolutely right, dude. You go out for 35 days and they're, they're, they're bad days to hunt. You know, you've got a wrong wind. You've got, it's too hot. The barometric pressure is way low. It's, you know, you don't have a great chance of killing deer. So going out there, all you're doing is teaching those deer what you are. All you're doing is, 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 is letting those deer know where you are, where you're sitting. Uh, you know, people who, who call all the time, all you're doing is teaching those deer, you know, the sounds you're making and, you know, all of those things. And if you run a decoy for, you know, 12 days, all you're doing is teaching, man, that same buck has been in that same spot for 12 days straight. And two nights ago, homeboy rolled in there and he got shot at, like, so I'm not going in there. So all you're doing is, is educating those deer as to what not to do. Um, and so that's still for me is like, cause I just want to be out there hunting. Um, so here's what I have, have learned and here's what I do. Say I've got 10 leases, um, which right now, um, I've got seven leases, two of which are like my prime go-to. I've got big bucks on them. That's where I want to hunt. I go to the other five on bad days and I go to bad spots on those bad five on bad days. Um, you know, to where I might see some does, I might see some coyotes. I can just enjoy being out there and I'm not going to spook and mess up my prime two spots that when weather gets great, that's where I want to be. Um, and so that's what I would, that's what I encourage everybody to do. Like, absolutely dude, if season's open and you have the chance to be out there, get out there, but don't mess up, you know, your, your A plus tree stand on those bad days, hold out on your A plus tree stand for that perfect day. Um, you know, and there's even been times where like, man, it's a bad day but I really want to be at a plus. So what I'll do is, is I'll go out to the a plus spot, but I'll pull 400 yards out, you know, 500 yards out, sit on an elevated little hill or a, a hay bale, you know, here in Kansas, we don't have elevation. So you might have to climb on a hay bale and just sit with a spotting scope, um, just to, to start pattering, pattering the deer on your a plus spot, you know? Um, <clears throat> that, but that's what I've learned, man, is if it's season, I want to be out there, but don't mess up your A plus tree stands because you just want to be out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's super challenging because, you know, I want to go out and, and I learned early on, I heard, you know, you can't shoot a deer from, from the couch. And maybe that advice is, it's true, but it's, it's not because, you know, it's, a, you go out there and you, you wear a spot out and, there's not a great chance that you're going to, you're going to connect with a deer. Um, so that was kind of an interesting, you know, I, I've always heard both and, and I, I believe in what you're saying. What would you say for somebody, you know, I back in Nebraska, I have one spot and that's, that's the challenging thing is I only have one spot where I can go and kind of get that yep. fix, you know, being out in, in the wilderness and in, in the woods. So what would you say for that? You just got to be patient. I feel like. Well, and that's true for a lot of guys. You know, a lot of guys don't have the benefit of having multiple farms, multiple places, even multiple states, you know, because um, what I do, like if if Kansas just looks bad, I drive to Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma looks bad, I go to Missouri. If Missouri looks bad. I go to Arkansas. If Arkansas looks bad. I'll go to tech. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys don't have that ability. And I didn't for the longest time. And so it goes back again to what I what I said um, before, you know, pull way out. Um, or, or have that prime spot of, okay, this is where, you know, shooter a is like, this is where I've been nailing him down. Um, so I don't want to go in there until I know conditions are right. 
So, you know, pull way out and then just watch from a distance. Um, one time I actually, I actually thought I was going in to just watch from a distance. I was going up to set and uh, just wait. And it was the middle of the rut, but I had a wrong wind. So I'm like, I'm just going to, I need to be out there just to see what's going on. Uh, but I can't go in like to where I know the deer are. So I pulled way out and I was just sitting there in the middle of a field with a spotter, um, just watching and looking. And my eye was in the glass. Like I was just looking through the glass, watching all these deer down literally 10 yards in front of my tree stand. Um, and I hear something next to me and I'm like, like I just look over and there was a buck 40 yards, like coming at me. Um, and so on a day where I thought I wasn't hunting, I did have my bow obviously. Um, but on a day I thought I wasn't hunting, all of a sudden there's a buck coming at me at 40 yards. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to do it. Like, I don't know why he's out here. I don't know why he's come in the middle of this wide open field, but he's about to walk right in front of me. And, um, turns out it ended up being a little buck that I didn't want to shoot, but this deer comes 20 yards broadside and walks right in front of me. And so I, I have my bow up and I'm like ready. And, and I'm like, dude, on a day I thought I wasn't hunting. And trust me, I was looking through my glass at like my shooters down in the field. Um, but I had a deer at 20 yards walk right in front of me. And what I learned in that moment was that could have easily just as been a 180 inch deer. Like that could have been sure it was 110 inch, you know, th six point, but that could have been a 180 inch deer that just happened to walk out here. And so I, that's what I encourage people to do is like, don't go in like to where, you know, the deer are and to where you're going to be hunting, but pull way out. I mean, on 40 acres, you can still get, you know, way out and just sit and watch. Um, or, um, what, uh, um, um, oh my gosh, Mark Drury, uh, what Mark Drury recommends is, you know, having your A plus tree stands and then having like B minus tree stands, um, to where like, you know, I, again, this is on the back side of the property, uh, you know, deer don't really come over here. There's no food, but it, I can hunt it with a different wind. Um, so if, you know, if, if tree stand A plus, I need a North wind, on B minus, you know, this tree stand, this, you know, never really going to turn into anything good. I can hunt it with a south wind. Well, then if you have a wrong wind, at least you still have somewhere to go and sit uh, to where you might see, you know, a couple does. You might see a coyote. You might see um, some other things and maybe even set it up in a way where you can see A plus or, or at least that area um, where you can see the deer over there. That way, again, you're still pattering and you're still patter pattering. Good Lord. Uh, you're still putting a pattern on those deer, um, without going in there and messing up the deer themselves. Um, so that's what, what, uh, the juries recommend doing is just having a couple of tree stands set up, even on a, on a small piece of ground, uh, like, like you're mentioning, you know, again, they might not ever turn into anything, but you never know, man. Uh, if you have a right wind, especially if it's the rut, especially if you're being vocal, you might pull a deer over there and, and if you've got the right wind, you're not going to hurt anything. So, uh, that's what I would recommend doing. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, you know, I've never set up or even heard that before, but that's, that's really good stuff. And, you know, I'm even thinking right now places on my, you know, 40 acres that I could put up spots and it'd be perfect just to, to get out there, see some stuff, uh, you know, even learn more about your, your property, maybe put it in a place that you don't, you know, with the wind, it's perfect or with a bad wind, it, it's, it's perfect. You're not going to bump deer, but you're going to 
maybe learn more about your spot, learn more about deer movement. So I think that's perfect. Yeah. My, uh, one of the places I have is literally five acres and my in-laws house sits in the middle of the five acres. So no matter where you're at, you're like 300 yards from their house. And so there's been times where, you know, and on five acres, especially with a house right in the middle, there's only two places I can even set up. Um, like period, especially since the road is, is right there. Um, there's only two places I can set up period. So there's been times I've literally went out and, and street clothes and just set on their back deck. Um, but I can see, uh, the food plot. I can see, uh, the watering hole. I can see my tree stand and I can just watch where are those deer coming from? Where are they going? Um, so I'm not boogering those deer up, but I can still learn just as much about those deer by literally sitting on my in-laws back deck, drinking coffee with a pair of binoculars. Um, and you still get that fix. Like, at that point, you're not hunting at all. Like, I don't even have my bow because I don't want to start shooting at deer from the back deck because then you're just associating them danger with human. Uh, anyways, um, so I'm not even hunting, but I'm still out there trying to just learn where are the deer coming from, where are they going, where are they jumping the fence at, where are they, where are they jumping the fence to come on, where are they jumping the fence to leave, how long are they eating, how long, what time are they coming in. Uh, you know, again, I'm just learning everything I can about those deer without going in and messing them up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's important. You know, I, I'm just thinking back to two years ago, the first year I went in, it was like, just had no idea, you know, didn't think about all the things that I think about now. And it's such a challenge, you know, so for people that are first starting off and even me, I'm still learning, like I said, but, uh, you know, try to, try to understand their movement. That's the, the most important thing. Set up trail cams, get out there, like you said, and just, you know, if you're not in a good spot or the wind's not right, just try to learn as much as you can. I think that's the most yeah. important thing. And you know, I'm still learning all about that. So I would also say for a new hunter, uh, which again, you can start learning this from 400 yards away, but start learning the mannerisms of deer, um, how they're acting. Are they acting weary or are they sticking their head down and eating for 20 minutes at a time without ever looking up? Um, but start looking at how deer respond, uh, like when a coyote runs in. What happens when a coyote runs through there? What happens to those deer? Uh, what happens when, um, you know, a buck comes between a mom and her fawns? Like, how do deer respond to those types of things? Um, start listening to deer. Start, you know, how are, during the rut, how are they being vocal? How are they, uh, listen to how deer, how it sounds when deer actually fight? Um, you know, listen to those types of things and just watch. And again, that's something you can learn from 400 yards away without going in and boogering up and, and, and messing up the herd and messing up the deer and without educating those deer, you can start learning all of those things without having to go in and mess up the deer. Um, now you did find success. You shot your first buck in Oklahoma. Uh, how, how was that? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I've ever had the, uh, um, adrenaline rush like that. Um, you know, it was, a. it's pretty, pretty average deer, but man, it got me excited. And, uh, you know, it's a treasure in my eyes. Uh, but yeah, that was a That's cool awesome, experience. Dude. So I never thought I'd shoot my first deer in Oklahoma. Um, you know, I've been hunting in Nebraska. Everything changes so quickly. Sometimes, you know, you get a, got the opportunity to come down here and, and, into Arkansas and then, uh, met, uh, Parker Rowland, one of our, uh, catchers, uh, you know, he grew up in, uh, Oh, just North of Tulsa and had some land up there and, 
you know, gave me the opportunity. We became really good friends and, you know, asked if I want to go. Wait a second. How far north of Tulsa? Uh, I want to say is it, oh, it's by Osage. Dude, I hunt right there. Really? It's like my favorite, one of my favorite places in the world to go hunt. Yeah, it's a, uh, his, his property is pretty sweet. Um, you know, he's got, he's got the setup. So that is a beautiful country with the, you know, we had hills and little river systems yes. running, running through there. It's yeah. totally different than, you know, what I experienced in Nebraska on my property. So that was really just a cool experience. Oklahoma is one of my favorite places to hunt just because it offers so much different terrain. I mean, you can be in the Kayamichi Mountains, you know, they're close to where you're at, um, and hunting in, you know, big timber. Uh, you can be like in that area in the Osage, in the Osage County area and be hunting, you know, wide open rolling hills. And then when you go out to the Panhandle, you're hunting desert almost. I mean, you can just hunt so much different terrain. And really, dude, I think there's a lot of big deer come out of Oklahoma. And I think it's been a sleeper state for a long time, uh, but it's starting to get some press as being a good place to go deer hunting. And, uh, man, I, I love hunting in Oklahoma for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was just a great experience overall, um, especially just being able to, you know, connect with some of my teammates. Uh, Hunter Holland, what pitcher, was there too. Um, it was a cool experience that we shared together. And, and you know, I when you think of big bucks, I don't know. I mean, you think of Iowa, you think of Missouri. But, uh, you know, a lot of Parker's friends have put down, you know, monster deer down there. And, you know, we always talk, me and Parker have been talking and we're like, hey, you know, in the future, whatever, when things settle down, whatever, we should trade hunts and, you know, bounce state to state and come up to Nebraska if that's where I'm at or wherever I'm at and just go hunting together. So it's cool to make those, yeah. uh, you know, those friendships and uh, hopefully, you know, we stay in contact and, and do that. So, um, yeah. I actually shot a deer um, there this year. I was hunting in Pawhuska. And I shot a deer there this year, and that was a really cool experience because my son's four. And so this was the first year where I'm like, all right, you're good. Like, let's start getting you out in a blind. Um, so we had been going out a lot during early season and, and when it was warm and and, uh, and hunting together. And we had seen some deer. We had seen some coyotes. We would seen some bobcats. We'd had a lot of fun. Um, and But we just didn't, you know, find any success, mainly because when things would get good, I would leave them at home. Um, because I'm like, okay, you're not good enough yet to like go out on prime days with me. Um, so, you know, when things would get good, I'd be like, Hey, I'm going out hunting. And he'd be like, I want to go. And I'm like, ah, not today, bud. Uh, but anyways, there in Pahuska, my wife and kids were actually there with me. Um, they were, um, just in the cabin, you know, hanging out when I would go out hunting and it was bitterly cold or I would have my boy out there. But, um, and so I actually got to, when I called the outfitter and said, Hey dude, I just shot a deer. I was like, could you do me a favor, though? Could you swing by the cabin and pick up my boy uh, before you come out here? And he was like, I'd love to, man. And so my son got to come out there with me on the retrieval. And I saw him drop like I knew where he was. But I still played it out with my son. I'm like, all right, dude, where's my arrow? we got to find my arrow first. And, uh, you know, we found my arrow. And I could literally see the deer from where we're at. But I'm like, all right, we got to find the arrow. And we find the arrow. He's like, dude, I found it. There's blood on it. Dad, you got him. And I'm like, all right, well, we got to find blood. we got to walk to him, you know. And so my son got to track it like we got to do the whole deal together and so that was just really fun to get to have that with my son 
Um, but it was also just, it was a crazy fun experience just getting my son out there, like just doing that with my boy. Uh, you know, he said a lot of funny stuff and <laughs> I just did a lot of funny stuff, but, um, I do want to tell a quick story. We were my, so the outfitter gets out there and you know, we find the deer and everything. We take all the pictures and he said, dude, your son's a riot. I'm like, Oh no, what'd he do? And he's like, we, we were on our way out here and he's, we see mud. And he's like, here's a four year old in the back seat. He's like, go through the mud. Yeah, let's go through the mud. So we went through the mud and we got stuck. And he said, your son looked at me, shook his head and said, we shouldn't have went through the mud. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, that's my boy. That's, that's your him. boy. He'll, he'll, he'll do that. Um, so how'd that hunt play out? Like, tell me the story. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, a morning hunt kind of almost, uh, I'd say right before maybe pre rut. And, uh, you know, he, we headed out early in the morning, got into, uh, kind of this area that was up on a, up on a ridge. And then there was a river system that you'd kind of around the stand. Uh, basically it was, it was decent wind, I would say. Um, we had a northwest wind, and there were two paths crossing that you could tell, and there was a scrape right um, down to my left, which that point, um, you know, the wind was, was not perfect for that scrape. But anyway, we had two cross passing, uh, passing and uh, got in there. You know, early on, we saw – I saw two bucks chasing does, small – spike uh and then i actually had a really nice eight point um try to grunt him in and he got within 20 but that wind wasn't right um and he ended up uh ended up spooking and uh ran off couldn't get him in so i was actually at full draw waiting for him to turn at 20 which was uh that was a tough one to swallow um yeah yeah it was a it was a it was a pretty nice buck and so then uh you know an hour hour or so goes by um here here's some movement behind me uh deer comes running in kind of grab my bow he was he had a a doe had gone maybe five minutes before through that area and he was on on the the trail of her so he was running in hard had kind of a split decision or a, a quick decision um, had my bow ready just cause I he- heard him running. Um, you know, I, I got him to stop and let it fly. You know, it was a split decision I had to make and, uh, made a perfect shot. I think double lunged him and, uh, I saw him, ex- uh, fall down about, oh, 70 yards away. I'd say, um, pretty cool experience, you know, and then obviously called that Parker cool. called, uh, called my dad, um, so it was, it was a cool experience. That is cool, man. And that's something like as you start hunting, you start learning more about how do I need to practice? Because as a new hunter who's never bow hunted, like I remember, I remember like when I was getting my wife into it and I'm like, all right, like we would start getting ready for season. I'm like, all right, I want you to draw back and then I want you to wait. Like just draw back and wait until I say now. And she's like, why? And I'm like, well, the deer's walking behind a tree. You got to wait till he clears the tree before you can shoot. So I'm going to tell you when. And uh, she's like, this is the stupidest thing ever. And I'm like, just trust me, please. Um, but like, that's the type of thing, like as a new hunter, you start learning those things. Like you start learning, man, I didn't know I was going to have to wait at full draw for two minutes. Like I didn't know that I was going to get my bow back and then, you know, wait 90 seconds before I have to shoot. And I've never practiced that before. So now 
all this year you have time to practice like all right i have to come to full draw and i have to wait for him and then i have to make a shot um and so as a new hunter i would say take those learning experiences that you find in the woods and then apply those to how you practice um apply those things to different situations and um you know there's like i've, I've told people all the time like practice coming to full draw and then you have to turn you know 45 degrees and make a shot over there uh because the deer moved before you could shoot um and that's just something that you never think about as a new hunter who's never found yourself in the woods you just draw back and shoot at a target at 20 yards and try to hit the dot um but then as you start learning all of these experiences start adding up and you can try these different scenarios out um so you know i tell people like if you're hunting from a tree stand you need to practice elevation uh, if you're hunting from a tree stand, you need to practice having your back against the tree and then turning around the tree to shoot. Um, you got to practice all those things because you never know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Um, so practice them all. Um, what kind of, as a as an athlete, I like talking to athletes who begin bow hunting. Um, as an athlete, do you think that gave you the edge on handling emotions as it was taking place? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, as an athlete, you get put in some high leverage situations, especially with baseball, uh, you know, walking up to the plate, maybe, you know, games on the line, you got to get a hit kind of that, uh, that adrenaline rush, that nervousness. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say it definitely, it definitely helps you out mentally. Um, you know, and another thing I think, you know, I can always relate just how, how athletics and, and, uh, bow hunting of, you know, they're, they're very similar, um, with athletics, especially baseball, you know, it's a game of failure. Um, you're going to fail seven out of 10 times at the plate and you're going to be a really, really good hitter. So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where you, you know, I've always learned, learned from failure. Uh, when you fail, it's, it's how it happens. And, and I kind of translate that to kind of all aspects of my life, especially bow hunting, just because you're going to fail and you're going to, have challenges and you learn new things. And so I'd say being an athlete definitely helps in those, uh, you know, the crunch time situations. So what was that biggest, the biggest single takeaway? If you could tell the new hunter, listen, this was my biggest lesson and I just want to go ahead and share it with you now. Um, what would, what would be that biggest lesson that you learned that you want to share with new hunters just getting started? Oh, I'd say as cliche as it sounds, enjoy the process. Like you don't have it figured out and I don't know if you ever will, but enjoy that process of learning. Enjoy that process of, of getting out. Enjoy, you know, watching deer, learning how they work. Um, just take pride in, take pride in it. And, uh, you know, you do that and you'll have some cool experiences and um, just don't take it for granted. It's, it's good. It's, you know, you have the ability to, you know, put meat on the table and all that and just don't take it for granted. I think that's the most important thing. That's awesome, man. I'm very picky about the nonprofits that I will support. Um, I look into them a lot. I don't just jump in and support anybody that says we're a nonprofit. Um, 
I met a, a friend of mine, his name is Jim Mesh, and he runs a memorial fund, a scholarship in his brother's name, the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship. And what they do, they have a passion for getting kids involved in outdoors. So they host these events around the country uh, to get kids introduced to hunting, but also to raise money for their scholarship fund, which is the John V. Mesh Scholarship. And what that is, is that's a scholarship that if any student is going into a field of conservation study, they can apply for this this scholarship. And it's a substantial scholarship. That's another thing. If, if they say we're a nonprofit, we do all this, and then they give you know, a $1,000 scholarship, then you're like, well, where does the rest of the money go? But they give a very substantial, substantial scholarship uh, to a student every year looking to go into a conservation field of study. So guys, maybe you are a student and you're studying some, some field of conservation, I would encourage you to apply for the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship, but also I would encourage you, everybody, to support this nonprofit scholarship fund, uh, whether it's through a one-time donation, a monthly donation, or attending one of their events, uh, or, or buying one of the things they have on auction uh, at these events. Support a company that's supporting our rights as hunters by furthering our conservation efforts by supporting students who are going into a conservation field of study. Guys, go check out the John V. Mesh Memorial Scholarship at johnvmesh.org. Well, Jared, thank you so much for coming on, man. I look forward to not only watching you get back to Omaha, uh, but I look forward to also watching you continue in this journey, watching you continue to learn, watching, watching you continue to put down bigger and better deer and and uh, just growing as a bow hunter. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. You guys have a fantastic 